Welcome to the Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host Ali Houston as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with the Canteen Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Canteen Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Houston. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Okay, we're recording, and we're lucky enough to have with us today Bruce Kalman who's a top U.S. chef based in California, originally from New Jersey. He's appeared on U.S. television on multiple shows and brings his award-winning take on Italian cuisine wherever he goes. He recently lost more than 50 pounds on a keto diet, and I'm delighted that he's here to talk about it. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good. Thanks so much for coming on. For sure. Thanks for asking me. Um, I, noticed, uh, I noticed you first uh the, just the other day actually when um someone tweeted uh one of the la papers saying that you'd you'd lost more than 50 pounds on a keto diet mm-hmm. and i thought that was particularly interesting for a couple of reasons um you're obviously kind of i don't know you've gone your whole life uh not eating like that and then you you stumble upon it somehow and it really works for you which is i think just interesting in and of itself and the other thing, I guess, is there's a saying they never that you you know they say you should never trust a thin chef. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, what, what do you think about that phrase now that you're losing weight? You know, it, it's there's so many skinny chefs now. You know, I think I think it's um, it's just this uh, kind of old school mental image of chefs being you know bigger guys, and you know, there's definitely a truth to it because you know we're our job is to eat, our job is to taste food constantly, and it is a physical job though, which keeps you, you know, you, your body's moving and you're on your feet, which is great, you know, but I, you know, I've struggled with it my whole life. And, you know, I, I had a period of time where I was working out a lot, you know, on and off. I did Taekwondo and I, you know, I, I box and I let, I've lifted weights, you know, I played a lot of sports growing up and, you know, things just kind of fall off the, you know, in, in the service industry, especially, your job is to take care of everybody else, you know, and, you know, you stop taking care of yourself because you're so fixated on making sure everybody's happy until you realize that without your health, you've got nothing and you can't take care of anybody. And, you know, now I have a two-year-old son. And so, you know, it's my motivation and and I'm still struggling. It's up and down. I have my moments, you know, and um, did the keto thing. I've kind of fallen off of it and uh, working on getting back onto it, you know, because, it is hard, you know, I'm opening a pizza place in, in a month. And so there's, you know, research and development that needs to be done and tasting. And, you know, so, you know, I've always said, like, I, I've talked about this before on in articles and on other podcasts. And, you know, there's a whole thing about chefs tasting food and then it becomes eating food, you know, where, you know, and I noticed the difference when I was really pushing hard on the keto. Um, 
I would taste the minimal amount, you know, just to taste it. And then there's times in the past where, you know, then all of a sudden, like you're eating it, you know, you're, you're taking more bites than you should really. And then, you know, times, how many times a day you taste some food in the kitchen, you know? And so I, uh, I felt like I needed to do something and I started reading a lot about it. And then Tyler Anderson, who was on my season, the top chef, is a good buddy of mine. And we're actually opening this pizza place together. Um, we started talking about it and started kind of doing, and he lives in Connecticut. He lives on the other coast. And so we started doing it together and just kind of holding each other accountable to it, you know, and I not, we, he and I did a lot of events and dinners and traveled together um and so like when we meet up it was like we'd get to a city and say okay let's find you know where where can we find the bulletproof coffee where can we find keto food and um the great thing about it was we would go out and eat and eat and eat and eat and not get super full because no carbs and no sugars and you know we're like wow we can eat a lot <laughs> and and you don't feel that like that pain in your ribs when you eat too much carbs, you know, and you know, it's like, it's like eating, you know, you eat sushi and then like an hour later you're hungry again. And it's kind of sort of a similar principle. I think also because your metabolism is racing and you know, you're, you everything's kind of moving faster, but you know, it's, it's definitely something that's, uh, you know, I mean, it, there's so many schools of thought with it too, you know, like right now I don't feel bad about falling off of it because I hear you know, a lot of people, they go back and forth with it because it kind of shocks your body, you know, which is important because anything you do, if your body get used to it, you know, then, you know, it's like lifting weights. You have to change just your grip when you, when you're doing uh, reps of something because your body will just get used to it. And then the effects are minimal, you know? Yeah. And you picked up on a, a few interesting points there. I guess that now that you've tried it and you've seen that it works, then it doesn't really matter what environment you're in from now on because you have the, the knowledge and um, the experience to turn around and, and do it ag again whenever you like. And you know now what it is to be in control in a way that perhaps you didn't before. And I'm, right. I'm, always, I'm always saying to people who maybe want to go kind of uh, really hard out on these things and they, they, they maybe struggle, they fall off the wagon and then they, they beat themselves up is that we're, we're in a toxic food environment and um, if we're making, if we're starting from a position of making like nine out of 10 bad decisions and we start to improve that ratio so that in the end we're making seven, eight, nine out of 10 good decisions, that's a huge win. And just because you know nobody's perfect, nobody's uh, nobody's an angel, and um, there's different schools of thought about uh, staying healthy. You know, some people think that if uh, you can't do it 100, percent then you're not really doing it. But I tend to think that you should find the way that you can make it work for you. And if right. that means um, if that means eating, you know, this, that, or the other thing, then you've got to do it. You know, it's, we live in the real world. And it's, uh, we don't live in a bubble. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, I struggle. I'm an emotional eater. And, you know, when I'm going through a very stressful time, it, you know, easily, like the first thing is I, I go back to the things that I want to eat that, 
you know, growing up made me feel good, you know, and now it like, it makes you feel good emotionally for about five seconds. And then you're like, why did I just do that? Why did I just eat all that ice cream? Why did I, you know, whatever it is. And, but like you said, you know, if you're in a situation like this, it's, you kind of have to, you got almost like reward yourself, you know, and there's like, with the problem with keto in that regard is like, if you go too far off the deep end, you kick yourself out of it. So it's not like, in, you know, where you're doing a normal, you know, regular sort of diet, you know, you have your cheat day, you kind of can't have your cheat day. I mean, you can, you know, to an extent, but you just have to monitor it and, and stay the course as much as possible. I just know that I, how good I felt, you know, doing it. And, um, it really motivated me to like get back in the gym and, and do all these things and, on top of it. And, you know, I, that's how I personally am is I, I go in these waves and I'm, I think I'm sure a lot of people do, or you go in these waves where you're like, I just don't care. I just, I, I just, I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I don't want to go to the gym. Um, I'm too busy. Uh, you know, I mean, you name it, you know, I've got a two-year-old, I've got a business, a restaurant in LA. I'm opening one in Connecticut. I've got like four other projects possibly in the works and I own a pickle business. Plus I have a two-year-old son at home, my wife. And I don't have time for me, you know, <laughs> but you have to make time for yourself and you have to, you know, emotionally, physically, all of it. I mean, you have to, um, you know, self care basically. And I'm still struggling with it. You know, I'm not far, far from perfect with it. And I have these days where I just doesn't matter in my head, you know, and you have to push yourself through that, especially on those days you know, and, but, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it's going to work going and opening a pizzeria, <laughs> you know, cause it's far from keto. And right now I'm trying to push myself to get back into it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it, you know, it's like anything else. It's about willpower. It's about discipline. It's about habits. It's about, um, you know, feeling good and, you know, or not feeling good. You know, it's, I heard the, the quote, um, no food tastes as good as feel as being feel can't, I'm trying to remember exactly how it said, but like, no, this doesn't taste as good as being thin feels, Yeah. you know, or being in shape anyway, you know, I, I don't need to be a thin guy. I just want to feel good. You know, and I want to be healthy. Um, being a chef too, like, I have access to everything I need in order to do it right. You know, and the, the especially in Southern California and the local farms are incredible and there's some, tons of, you know, pasture raised meats. Everything's very accessible here. Um, and sustainable seafood and all the things that you should eat keto or not, you know, you should eat those food, those things because they're better for you. Your body digests them better. And, you know, they provide certain uh, vitamins and minerals and, and essential oils and things your body needs. And um, that said, it's very easy to get off and uh, get off of it and, and, you know, go wild. <laughs> it's mm. too easy sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
you talked about being an emotional eater and that's something that definitely resonates with me and um especially in the in the food industry you know i when i left school i was working for a few years in high-end restaurants i was actually front of house and that's when i started smoking um no surprises really and yeah. uh, and then when i left uh my um career in science to start the the food business that i run now i found myself in the kitchen for the first time professionally and yeah. i found it extremely stressful you know there's there's long hours and there's a lot of stress moment to moment because you're doing live service and i found that you know the carb creep was real and i started to uh, eat some of the the more carby paleo things that i was serving and um it, it happens and i think you're right that when when you're when you're that busy especially in a stressful uh job like in hospitality it's uh, it's all too easy to 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 sort of reach back to the emotional uh crutches that we that we've used all our lives i read a really interesting article recently about mental health in hospitality and i think mental health and physical health are kind of two sides of the same coin and it yeah. made me wonder you know does the industry attract or make mental health problems i think it's a little bit of both yeah you know i definitely think you know it, it's listen i i feel like you know if you're prone to something and you you put yourself in the raw you know if you're prone to being an addict and you hang out with people that drink you're going to become an alcoholic most likely and it's the same thing i think in a restaurant you know and especially in a restaurant i mean there's there's so much going on you know and back especially back when i was coming up as a cook i mean i've been doing this 35 years now and you know just the drugs and and the drinking and and all of those things you know coupled with a poor diet and you know um and I think a lot of the poor diet also comes from your schedule is so erratic as a chef, as a cook, you know, you don't eat, you don't do anything when normal people do, you know, normal people, like, you know, the, the, the people you're serving on a daily basis. So you don't, you have a weird schedule, you know, you don't eat your meals as you probably should in order to stay healthy. You know, the times, you know, you're, you're off of work at nine or 10, you've just worked your butt off and you're exhausted and you're freaking starving. So then you're going to eat at 10, 11, midnight, one in the morning, whatever it is, you know, which is definitely not a good thing to do. <laughs> not unless you're waking up at noon, which is possible. But, you know, it's, um, you know, part of the, the keto thing I did too was in, intermittent fasting. So I would stop eating at 8 p.m. and I wouldn't eat again until 8 a.m. Well, actually, 8 a.m. I would just have bulletproof coffee. I wouldn't even eat anything until noon. Um, and that really jumpstarts your metabolism, as you know. And, and so it's hard to do when you're day to day in a restaurant to do that. Right. You know, cause it's, your schedule is just so messed up. <laughs> yeah. And, and also what you're tasting stuff that's on the menu, you know, it's your job to make sure you're the gatekeeper for the quality control. Exactly. You know, it's, exactly. it's, it's got to be the, the finest stuff that's going out to your customers. Cause that is your brand is the food. So you know, I, I, I was selling paleo food at first in uh, the place I was on the high street, but it was not always low carb. And I really do best when I'm paleo and low carb. 
And so mm-hmm. I would come back after a day where I'd sold a lot of uh, sweet potato fries or sweet potato chips. And I would say, right. oh man, I had a lot of sweet potato chips today, but I have to, I have to, because I have to try these things. And then my girlfriend's like, oh yeah, you have to do it, but you do. And uh, yeah, there's no way around it. Right. But again, it's like, do you taste or do you eat? And mm. I find myself when I'm disciplined, I taste. And when I'm not disciplined, I'm like, there's time, it becomes a habit, especially as long as I've been doing this. So you, there's so many times where I'm like, I'm going to put something in my mouth. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even need to taste that. It's just, you know, it just becomes a habit to do this. Mm-hmm. It just does. And, and where you don't even realize it, it's subconscious. And, mm-hmm. and you have to, like anything else you try to fix, you have to realize what you're doing and you have to learn to stop yourself like training a dog you know you have to catch yourself in the act and say no (laughs) (laughs) you know in order to to do that and it's hard it's really really difficult but it's not impossible either you know and and i find that when i do commit to it like i get into it and nothing can stop me you know but then then there's times where you just kind of fall off you know i've had I've had somewhat of a rough year this year for many different reasons. And the first thing to go is my diet and, mm. and my health. And that's stupid because I should be motivated to do, to do more, to keep a good positive frame of mind, you know, because then what happens is you become somewhat negative, not, not negative, but just not a super upbeat, positive person. And you're like, why is nothing happening? Why is this? Why is that? And it's, you know, a lot of it is that energy that you put out into the universe in a way, you know, I don't want to get too deep with it, but you know, it's true though. It's, I noticed that like the second I set foot in the gym, the second I make positive decisions, big positive decisions, it's like it opens the floodgates to opportunity, you know, to good opportunity. And, and I I just noticed that it's so weird. To think to to think that that's really something that's true, you know. When you know when you're at basically your actions equate to how you seem on the outside, and you know if you come across somebody that's kind of coming off like not super positive and upbeat, you know you're kind of like cool, good to see you, and you walk away, and it, it makes sense, you know, because you don't want to be around that. You don't want to be around, you know. You want to be around positivity and, and inspiration and, um, you know, you want to feel good and want people to lift you up, not take you down. So it's just easy to, I don't know, it's easy to fall off of it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you said you felt better when you were, when you were on keto. Was it just physical with more energy or was it men- mental clarity people talk about? And what different ways did you feel better? All of the above, you know, I think the, you know, the carbs, like they give you energy when you're, if you're working out like hard. Um, but at the same time, it's like carbs and sugar for me, it's like you get a rush and then you crash. Right. And then this is a bit more kind of, you know, a steady climb in a way the, 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 you know, taking in the, the, the proteins and the fat, the good fats from avocados and, uh, from grass fed meat and you know and and then there's also there is a little bit of like emotionally you're like cool i can eat like sour cream 
right out of the tub. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna cook my eggs with grass fed butter today. <laughs> you know, so it's you know there's that side of it too where you're like, like wow I can't believe I can do this. This is great. You know, and I think I think there's also a misconception. People think that you have to eat a lot of meat, and that's on the contrary. You're only you're only supposed to the diet consists basically of like 20% of your diet should be protein, you know, and 70% of it's supposed to be fat, good fats, obviously, you know, um, but you know, too much protein will could also throw you out of whack with it too. I found, um, but you know, it's just, it's, it forces you to, to really pay attention to what you're eating, which is, I think super important on any, any level, you know, um, and, you know, I really believe that like, you know, good food heals. And, you know, when I'm feeling like crap, it's cause I'm, it's, it's what I'm putting into my body. You know, now I'm feeling good. It's what I'm putting into my body. Um, it was funny. I remember like the first, I, I was reading about, you know, you get these like crazy bursts of energy. <laughs> and I remember there was one day and I was at home with my wife and it, and it hit me. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on? This is crazy. You know, like you just start, you start, you just start running your mouth and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> you feel like you can do anything. Um, but, you know, it, it's, I don't know. I, I, I like it. And, you know, honestly, like the, the timing for you reaching out to me about doing this too is kind of perfect because I feel like this is going to be the push that I need. You know, I was sitting here and talking about it. It's kind of the push that I need to to say, okay, enough. Like, let's get back onto it. You know, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. That's really cool. And I, yeah. I think um, that's something that's great about the online community uh, is that there's a lot of there's a lot of negativity for sure, but there's also a lot of positivity and there's a lot of uh, communication nowadays that wouldn't have been possible ten years ago even. And the fact that we were able to have this chat, me in the UK and you in California, about the benefits and drawbacks of, of uh, a really powerful diet, it's amazing. And, um, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm, I think uh, just more good vibes getting sent out has, has got to be a good thing. Um, totally. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of unfortunate stuff around food. Like uh, I've seen that you've taken part in fundraising for the LA Food Bank. And um, mm -hmm. You know, we've got a kind of terrible situation in the UK where food poverty is on the rise. And, you know, when people should be eating more nutritious food for their physical and mental health, perhaps because they're, they're in a slump and that's contributing to their inability to um, get out of it, they're forced to eat lower nutrition food just to pay the rent. And right. um, it's not great. I mean, what's the situation like generally in California and the US? Well, I can tell you this. I mean, my personal experience is that, you know, this year especially has been a tough year for me financially. And that's part of what has, you know, like you said, I mean, I've had to, in a sense, in some cases, had a compromise because I need to pay my rent. I've got a son, you know, I've got my wife and, and I'm busting my butt. So there's that stress coupled with not having, you know, keto is not definitely not the cheapest diet to get on. And to do it right because you do have to really eat you know wild wild seafood and you know grass-fed proteins and <clears throat> in order for it to truly work so um but you know california especially the state of california is a very expensive place to live 
Um, and it's no wonder to me that the in LA the the homeless the homelessness issue is terrible. Um, you know, and so on the positive side, being a chef, you know, tons of chefs, especially here, are very into trying to help. You know, I think as chefs, we're just very giving people and we want to help others. And so, you know, we we did that event at the LA Food Bank and, you know, we raised about $40,000, you know, in one, wow. in one day. I mean, part in part, thanks to Dave Grohl, because everybody wanted to come see him. But, oh, cool. you know. <laughs> uh, I've heard he's a cool guy. He's rad. Yeah, he's he and I become very, you know, you know, we, we would cook a lot together and um, we've had a lot of fun. And, you know, we did that event together. Um, he's actually really good at barbecue. He's super <laughs> into it. Yeah, he's super into it. And um, so, it, you know, it's it's nice. And it's nice to have that support, you know, and, you know, somebody that's that cool that he, he really likes to help other people too, you know. He likes make, making people feel good around him. And, and so that's a super positive thing for me as well. You know, it's having those, those sort of people in my life. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it's that it's, so anyway, answering your question, it's, it's tough. You know, the U S it's tough right now, especially California. Um, you know, which is so ironic, right? Cause it's like, we have everything here to eat well, to really eat well. We have everything right here and it's so inaccessible to a lot of people. And it shouldn't be, right? Mm -hmm. There's some great organizations here too that I've I've worked with. Uh, there's one called Food Forward that they, um, I mean, they've become huge now. And what they started doing was they would go around to farmers markets at the end of the farmers market, and you know, there's, which is ridiculous to me, but people will buy a bunch of beets and say, "Can you take the tops off?" <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like the tops are so good. But, you know, they don't want them. So they go around and they'll collect, you know, all the, like some of the not not so nice looking produce. They'll collect all of those kinds of things. And then they bring them to food banks. Um, then they started doing grocery stores and, and the downtown produce terminal. And now, I mean, the, the number of people that they are helping is insane. It's absolutely insane, you know. And to to discuss like the magnitude of the problem, just the LA food bank event we did. Um, every dollar basically provides four meals, you know, so that's 160,000 meals that we helped to put together, uh, you know, to, for people to be able to, to access. And it's like barely enough, you know, barely scratching the surface. You would think, wow, 160,000 meals. I mean, it's, you know, it is a lot for sure, but you know, it just shows how bad the problem is, you know, between that. And it's not the only thing. I mean, there's so many things in, in California, like everywhere you walk, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll drive down the street and it's all date palm trees and there's dates just dropped all over the ground. And there's groups that come around and they collect all that stuff and then they bring it to shelters, you know? Um, and, you know, technically like if, you have a, a tree and it's hanging over your, a fence on the sidewalk. It's basically belongs. It's public, so people can like pick avocado. I mean, seriously, like I walk down the street and there's like an avocado tree or like a lemon tree, fig trees, just on the street, you know. And 
And then they also, another organization called Hollywood Orchards, like they'll go into people's backyards. And, and you know, because I have a lemon tree, I have a persimmon tree, a couple loquat trees in my backyard, you know, I don't eat all that, you know, so that they can come and they collect, they can collect all that and do something good with it. Um, so anyway, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge, huge, huge problem here, you know, and it's, but I think a lot of people are, you know, on board with trying to fix it. Um, and it's just, you, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel with it is the problem. Yeah. You know, it seems to be going in the wrong direction right now. And I mean, the UK is, you know, one of the richest countries in the world and the problem's getting worse and worse here. Uh, it's not yeah. like every European country is like that. And um, I'm not sure what make, marks Britain out. Um, particularly, I think it's uh, partly, a, in, a, in big part, I think it's a political thing. And mm -hmm. the, uh, when there's political will to make food, good food more accessible, then it can happen. But um, there needs to be that shift. And I, I I hope it doesn't have to get too much worse before it starts getting better. Yeah, I mean, you know, politically in the U.S., obviously, you know, it's a lot to talk about there right now. But, you know, the biggest issue is, um, you know, our food systems are horrible. And that's all due to, you know, big box companies and, and lobbyists. And, um, you know, it's it, at the end of the day, it all comes down to money. It just it comes down to money. And they're doing things that are poisoning people to make money and it's messed up it shouldn't be and um you know it's sad and it's sad and and the thing is is that as we already said people don't have you know pe financially that's the food that people are going to have to have access to is that you know that crappy food and that's not good. You know, you're raising your, the next generation. And my, uh, my son, fortunately I'm a chef. Like my son has been eating wild salmon since he was six months old and he loves it. He actually has a great palate and he, he's two now. And if something like, if I forget to put salt on something, he won't eat it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it has no flavor, he won't eat it. <laughs> he's spoiled, you know, uh -huh. but it's good. You know, but I, I felt like, you know, I could either go to the store and buy fish sticks let's just as an example that are full of all kinds of crap and then frozen, or I could go buy a piece of salmon and I could cut it up and bread it myself and put it in the freezer. And it's just as easy, you know, and it, it takes a few extra minutes, but you know, for him, for me, for my wife, for whatever, I mean, it's, it's important to think that way. It's important to, to do that. You know, I, had my restaurant union and I was all about that and I learned so much about being sustainable and what that mean what it what it means to be sustainable and you know at the end of the day it's about controlling all of the ingredients that go through your hands so I there I would make everything I butchered my, my own pigs um, I knew where they were coming from I knew who was raising them, what they were eating I know that when I'm making a meatball that it's coming from those pigs and it's freshly, freshly ground. And I was able to, you know, see it and touch it and, and, and feel it um, before it became, you know, a ground product. And cause you don't know what people are grinding into the product. You just, you know, in some cases, and 
I think there's much more awareness about it now. Um, you know, and I think oh, there's so many documentaries on, on TV now um, that people have access to that's in a way starting to work on holding people accountable to it, you know, holding these bigger companies accountable to it, um, or at least pushing them at, in that direction. Um, and if not, there's educators out there. There's, you know, like you said, all this stuff online and with, um, sorry, my phone keeps ringing, uh, stuff, stuff online. And there's, um, you know, there's just access to in, the information you need in order, if you want to do it. Um, and uh, there was a really cool documentary when I was doing the, starting to do the keto called the magic pill. I don't know if you've ever watched it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty rad. Like it, it really makes you understand, you know, just talking about keto, like, you know, when they were meeting with these, these folks, I think it was in New Zealand, this, this tribe, and they were talking about, you know, fit hundred years ago, what were people dying of? And it was, uh, they were getting killed in wars and drowned, you know, stuff like that. And then they talk about like today, what are people dying of? They're like diabetes and all these diseases that are because of the food that you're eating, you know, like Coca-Cola. Why would you put that on your body when you know if you pour it on a rust that it'll clean the rust off of a bumper of a car? Like, why would you put that in your body? You know, it's because it's addictive. And, it, you know, I, I haven't drank soda in... I haven't had a soda probably in over 10, 15 years. Uh, I, and now when you stop drinking it, it becomes disgusting. Mm. And you realize how gross it is. Um, not to mention just how bad it is for you. You know, it's like going from Coke to Diet Coke. <laughs> it's like it's so much worse, <laughs> all the crap. You know, you're taking a, a product that's terrible for you and then you're bringing it to a diet product, which then is, you know, just more chemicals to counteract, you know, the everything that that was in there that was already bad yeah it's just a horrible vicious cycle yeah and people think some can sometimes find that uh, when they're coming off of sweet things that a little bit of sweetener can be like a a bridge um but then other people find that when they have sweeteners it's a trigger for binge eating and so again i think people have to work out what works for them and I suppose the principles of the magic pill would be that we evolved over a couple million years eating mainly fatty meat and probably some hunted, some sorry, some gathered uh, tubers or plants or whatever, but probably not not that many. And um, sticking to those principles is uh, probably sensible. Right. Totally. I mean, something that I love about um, I mean, you're, you're a um, predominantly uh, Italian chef, right? And well, yeah, a, a Mostly, lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot um, of what I do. And uh, I mean, I love Italian food and I've been to Italy a couple of times and I think calling, saying Italian food does it a disservice because each part of Italy has its own unique um, food culture. I mean, it used to be yeah. lots of little kingdoms really. And, um, you know, I went to Sardinia last year, which was beautiful, great fish, great lamb. Um, great free-range eggs and then I was you know a few years before I was in um, Florence and it's all it's all beef there I didn't realize it's so many the steaks are unbelievable I had this steak that was wrapped with a kind of um, a kind of 
uh, like prosciutto with rosemary through it. And the, the, the fat was just exquisite, melted in your mouth. And there was baked plum on top of the steak. It was just, it was amazing. All, all that. I mean, what, what's your favorite part of Italy for food? I mean, you know, the, the great thing about it, countries like Italy are, you know, like you're saying, they all have their own food culture. And I think it's because of the economics of the, of the region, uh, definitely. Um, and along with the indigenous ingredients. So, you know, they do eat a lot of, of beef in, in Tuscany and Florence because there's a lot of cows there. You know, that's where they raise cattle. And, you know, there's not, and they don't cross over a lot either. You know, it's like, like you said, Sardinia is known for those things because that's what's there, you know? And um, I, I love, you know, one of my best experiences in Italy was going up north to, uh, the Cinque Terre near Genoa and it was definitely as a coastal town you know coastal town it's five villages and some like there's a big hiking trail that you go and, and it's it, one's up in the mountains you hike down the next one's in the water they all make their own wine you know they're serving fish that they caught that day and you can't get it doesn't get any better than that you know it, you know forget about it being a romantic idea it's just it's it's good for you you know and in the u.s like you know you're getting fish just as an example in a lot of cases who knows how long it's been sitting in a warehouse you know you can buy eggs you can buy organic eggs here at a grocery store and legally they are but fda rules they can store them in cold storage for six to eight weeks before they even sell them Wow. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, enough said, right? I mean, you know, when I can go to a farmer's market and pay a little bit more probably, but I'm getting eggs that are probably less than a week old, if not a couple days, you know, and same thing with the produce, you know, in, in Southern California, you go to a farmer's market, that produce was harvested the day before, um, if not two days before at the most. And, um, you know, I, I've had situations where I've called and said, Hey, I need my, one of the farmers. I'm like, Hey, I need some arugula. And they're like, cool. We'll go out and cut it for you right now and bring it to you. You know, that's how things should be again. Not, not only for being a romantic idea or because it's going to taste amazing, but the nutritional value, you know, as soon as you cut it, it loses fifty percent. Loses fifty percent of its nutritional value, and then think about just how long now it's sitting in a plastic bag or something else like that, you know. And I think a lot of it is because of education, and um, you know, I think this generation now is is becoming more educated now because it is such a hot topic. Um, I grew up knowing that a pork chop comes from a styrofoam container. With the little, with the little thing that soaks up all the, all the, the blood, you know, wrapped in plastic. That's how. That's what I knew of a pork chop, you know. And I've always wanted to do when I had union. I kept saying, I'm like, I want to do classes with kids, and you know, as long as they're not freaked out by seeing a whole pig get butchered, you know, they're not seeing it get killed. You know, it's just we're butchering it. But um, I think that education is so important. You know, I talk to people I know from that grew up in Italy and, and grew up in other countries. And they're like, yeah, it was just part of our culture was, you know, I, when I was five year five years old, I killed my first pig with my dad. You know, we slaughtered our first, my first pig, 
and that you know that's that culture that's that's education that's knowledge that's that's understanding what is good and you know for any any no other reason what's good and what's not good for you you know and um you know and, and then the other part of it too is just how these um how are all these products and animals being treated when they're being raised or grown? Um, you know, what kind of chemicals are being used, antibiotics, all of those things. And, you know, so that's where, you know, people look at it in our industry, a lot of it, it's like buzzwords, you know, oh, I'm going to put some grass fed on the menu because it sounds cool. It's like, you're an idiot. It's not because it sounds cool. Here's all the reasons why you should eat grass fed beef, you know, and it just, all, it just blows my mind. That, you know that it's like a a, a fashion statement almost and yeah. it's, it's just it shouldn't be i mean great you know whatever it takes to get everybody to do it but at the end of the day you know people should do it because they know it's right and because it's good for them and it's good for their children and and you know hopefully we can just kind of continue to push that that envelope a little bit yeah, totally. It's something that I really want to get involved in in Scotland is going out and teaching people how they can improve what they're eating and be more connected to their food and that it doesn't need to cost the earth. Like maybe, yeah, they might need to readjust their idea of uh, how much they should spend um, as a you know proportion of their income on food because it's so important for their physical and mental health and for the, their development and the children's development. Um, and I think sometimes it's just a skills gap, like you're saying, you know, uh, that, that connection has been lost and it falls to people who have the knowledge to strike out and do something about it. Mm -hmm. No, totally. And it's those same people that can't afford to buy good food that get an $8 coffee, you know, an $8 latte. And, um, you know, I've experienced that a lot in, especially here. And I have, um, I have a business, a, a, a pasta bar and a food inside a big food hall downtown LA and people don't want to pay $10 for a freshly made pasta made from really solid ingredients, you know, freshly milled flour and, and really great ingredients because probably because they don't have the money because they just spent eight bucks on a latte. You know, it's like, where are your priorities? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I really think that's what a lot of what it's all about, too. It's all about priorities. You know, what's important to you and, and um, you know, what's important to me when things really started to hit me was when we adopted our son, you know, because obviously we want him to eat healthy, you know, but now when I, when I do things that I think are stupid, like eat a bunch of ice cream, let's just say he sees that, mm. you know, and I don't want him to see that. I don't want him to, to, to grow up doing that, you know? And, you know, that's what I, that's the household I grew up in. You know, my mom was diabetic. My dad had, my parents both had health issues and they both passed young because of it. And, but it's what I know, you know, I, I grew up eating that. And I, and I know the thing is I have the sensibility to, to know, Hey, that's not, I shouldn't be doing that, mm. <laughs> you know, but sometimes, you know, my emotional side just takes over and, you know, that's about discipline and, and stopping yourself from doing it. And 
sometimes I can, and sometimes I just don't, just don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's so difficult in any situation where something was imprinted on us at a very young age, and yeah. you know they say the Jesuit saying something like, "Give me the boy until seven, and I'll give you the man," and we don't really. It's a bit outdated. It should say, "Give me the child until seven, I'll give you the the adult." But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just to correct the Jesuits there, um, the you know it's I suppose it's any kind of I consider I consider the the food environment uh, the way it acts on on us when we're young is a form of abuse. It's yep. It kind of gaslights us. You know, it it makes eating that kind of food makes you feel momentarily um, uh, kind of flushed with pleasure but then it disappears so quickly and then you're left with the choice of uh, getting back on that train and kind of riding it all the time or pulling away and feeling bereft because you're addicted. And there's people who know fine well that that is how it works and they market it aggressively. I have emotional attachments to specific chocolate bars and I think that's somebody's fault. And um, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's partly true. it's partly mine, but that's the thing. You look at yourself as an adult and think about how you're coming across to people who might look up to you, and you're forced to try and break that cycle. Um, it really kind of, to me, just seems exactly like other cycles of abuse that go on, and having to stop yourself indulging in it, uh, you, you know, because it's it's so ingrained. Um, but I think. This, that self-awareness is the first step and I think it's brilliant that you've um, that, you, that you've made so much effort to to get there and it sounds like your friend who you're opening the restaurant with was really helpful I mean he, how's he finding it all he you know he he's he's on and off of it just like I am you yeah. know and um, but you know I, I, it was very really helpful for us to do it together you know we started a an Instagram page you know, there was this whole thing on our season of Top Chef where we were called the Bears, you know, for many, like we're the bigger guys in the house. And we had, we shared a room. It became, it got, got called the Bear Den. And then all of a sudden we had this, this huge following on Twitter that was into Bears, if you know what I mean. And, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so we did a, a page called Eat Like the Bears. Um, and, you know, he and I are so busy that it's like, it's so easy for things just to kind of stop. Um, but you know, we were posting foods we were making and, you know, things that, and there's lots of really cool food that, that you can make. And I mean, I did, um, I think one of the coolest things that I found was I made a, a burrito and the shell was basically cheese. You just mm. melt mozzarella cheese in a pan into a sheet and then roll up your ingredients in it instead of a tortilla. And it's delicious, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's good. Um, you know, but you, you know, what you were saying was interesting about imprinting uh, on children because it's like, you know, when we get older and we have kids, we want to, we say, you know, I don't want, just for example, like, I don't want him to have the childhood I had, right? Like, I, if, you know, like, there's things in our, all of our ch childhood growing up that we wish were different. Um, and, you know, from, I had a great childhood growing up, just, you know, the, the food part of it was not great. And, um, 
you know, so it's like I'm feeding him great things and, you know, he eats kale. He loves asparagus and broccoli and salmon and, and really crazy things like that. Um, you know, but more so what we're teaching him is what he sees us doing. You know, so it's that much more important to be a responsible parent that, you know, he, that, that, that your children see you doing the right thing, you know, and understanding that it's not the end of the world too. If you, if you, you know, treat yourself once in a while, cause you have to, you know, it's like people ask me like, are you going to just do keto for the rest of your life? I'm like, no, I'm not. I just, I just want to get myself in a place where I feel good. And I can get myself, you know, because when you get to be a bigger person, it's hard to work out. It's hard to go running or, or sit on a bike, you know, and not impossible, but it's hard, you know, and um, it's hard. You know, it's like I, I'll have back pain and my, you know, I, I've had a full hip replacement, wow. you know, maybe something to do with my weight, but mostly I've been, I've just been a very active person my whole life, you know, being on my feet and playing a lot of sports. I played football and in high school and um you know i've taken a lot of hits but also it's um you know being on my feet and running around the kitchen constantly and pivoting and you know and all those things and um so i mean you know it i feel like yeah it's definitely going to happen for me like to to get to my goal um and hopefully pass that but um you know it's just it's a journey yeah, it's definitely a journey, you know. You talked about um, imprinting again, and about I suppose mentors and role models. Um, who are your cooking mentors and and heroes? And is there anyone that you that you wish you'd had the chance to work for, and maybe um, isn't around anymore? Um, you know, I, there there's a lot there's a lot of people that influence my cooking. You know, there's there's uh, lots of Italian chefs. There's a chef in Chicago. He's still around, Tony Montuano, that I always feel I wish I would have worked with. Um, I was the chef of a restaurant or a sous chef at a restaurant in Chicago a long time ago. And it was his restaurant. And the, he took he took off for a year and did something else and kind of left. Uh, and that was the year that I worked there. And then he came and then he had come back. And, you know, now a bunch some tons of my friends um have worked with him and they're all just they love it i mean he's such a great guy and you know and i'm I'm friends with him we've kind of reconnected and um it's just you know it, it i as i'm older now too it's not only about my heroes in the kitchen aren't because they cook great food my heroes are in the kitchen because they inspire people and they're not arrogant and they're they're not all about themselves they're all about you know, kind of, I have all of this and I want to give it all to you. I want you to, to have what I have. Um, and that's, you know, when you, when I became a restaurant owner, that that's when that really hit me, that mentality of, you know, we're in the people business, right? We're about inspiring other people. And, and I think that, you know, we're, it, without the people, you can't, you can't serve the food. So we're in the people business first. and um, you know, and I think that all of this is part of it too. I noticed when I was really pushing hard on my keto that really inspires other people, especially people I'm working with, you know, and they feel a positive, uh, force coming from me. 
Um, you know, and, and that again could also be because I feel good and I feel positive and I feel like I'm accomplishing something, um, that I've been struggling with my whole life. So, you know, I'm just going to continue my journey and, and, uh, you know, try to, try to get to a place where I'm super, super happy with what I've done. That makes sense. Well, more power to you. And I think it's amazing that you've, uh, you know, I know what it's like to work in kitchens and I've seen a lot of uh, chef friends go through the mill emotionally with their working life. And I think it's brilliant that you're kind of fighting back against the tide. And um, yeah. I, hope, I hope you can uh, make, a, make a big success of that and the, the new venture. Um, Thanks, where, can, where can people find you? Uh, where do you want them to find you online? Um, I have my website. It's uh, com. It's uh, my last name is spelled K-A-L-M-A-N. Um, and then on social media, I'm at, at Chef B. Kalman on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, so that's where they can find me. Cool. I feel like Bruce Kalman might be a Scottish name. It's Hungarian. Is it? Kalman? Yeah, Kal- Kalman is a, is a Hungarian yeah, Budapest is a city that I really want to go see. It's my grandfather's from. Yeah, I've got friends who've gone and I've heard it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's definitely a goal for me to go do. Oh, well, I tried to claim you for the Scots, but failed. <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit of it in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time and uh, I'll, um, I'll let you know when the episode comes out. Looking forward to it. All right, brother. Thanks again. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks. See you next time.